Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for um, all that you did here so far, and we ask, Lord, your anointing, that your Holy Spirit would breathe life upon this, that it would not return void, but it would purpose what you sent it to do. Draw us closer to you. We pray for your Holy Spirit's anointing, that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Um, this is, I, I'm going to read a few scriptures, and this is kind of uh, a framework for what I'm going to talk about this morning, and you don't necessarily have to go there. Uh, this is in First John, the Gospel of First John, and it says, Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, and they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. He was a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. To acknowledge the Son has the Father also. So that's the first uh, portion of Scripture I wanted to ad address in regards to the identity of Jesus Christ, which is, as I said, a fundamental doctrine. If you go on to chapter 3, verse 24... And it says this, and I'm going to read into chapter 4. It says, Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. Um, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the, uh, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that, denies, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of Antichrist, capital A, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is, like I said, a very fundamental doctrine. I want to read one more in regards to this. If we go to Second John, one chapter... And just to, you know, uh, reiterate or bring another scripture into this uh, fundamental doctrine, it says in chapter, uh, verse 7 of Second uh, John, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, uh, out into the world, who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is deceiver. This is antichrist. So you see how important that this is. And especially now that we're living in a day where it says that even in the time of the writing of this, it says that there was a spirit of Antichrist. But as we see this time that we're living, we see that spirit increasing. That when there's prayers that they said, you can pray, but we don't want you using the name of Jesus Christ in your prayer. 
That is an indicator of the spirit of Antichrist. When we live in this time and a few uh, years back where they said, I don't even want you saying Merry Christmas, in fact. I want you to say Happy Holidays. That is the spirit of Antichrist right there. Where they don't want to acknowledge the name of Christ in a public place. You guys can say that in your churches, but don't do that in public. It's offensive to some people. Do you see how that works? That spirit of Antichrist that does not want to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. There's no other name higher than the name of Jesus. There's no other miraculous birth like the birth of Jesus. There is no other person who said he was going to go to the cross and die and three days later resurrect and says, if you believe this, you have the gift of eternal life. Nobody else did that. And so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But do we know who Jesus is? Do we understand what happened 2,000 years ago. It's a miraculous story. Amen? Amen? It's a story about a shepherd who became a sheep who became the shepherd. You think about that. I was thinking about this. I was puzzling over this in my mind. You know, and we were talking about it on our Tuesday morning prayer. And I said, man, I got this, this word in my spirit. It's the word shepherd. And then Mika says, yeah, me too. I have that word in my heart, the word shepherd. And I was just thinking about that word and thinking about that concept about a shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. And another they will not follow. This is what that's talking about. That we hear the voice of the Lord. We're not going to veer off course to hear another voice that says, that's really not so what you're saying about Jesus. Let me tell you about this fresh revelation about who Jesus No. My sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. In the Middle East, a shepherd was intimate with his, uh, or had a good understanding of his sheep. In fact, the sheep knew his voice. They could commingle their flocks. They had these little uh, protective um, barriers of rocks. They would stack up these rock walls, and the shepherd would stand by the gate. And that's why Jesus says, I am the door. And I let my sheep in, and, I, and they have to come through me, and my sheep know my voice. And so they could bring in two, flo- two totally different flocks together. And they would go in there, and then in the morning when it goes out to take them out to go into the pasture, the one shepherd, I don't know if they would sing, or they would just speak up, or call their sheep, and all of a sudden the sheep flock would follow one shepherd this way, and another shepherd would go that way, and the the flocks would divide because these sheep knew their voice. In America or in Australia, not so much, they have sheep dogs, and they kind of drive them, and then the dogs, you see those, those dogs, we used to have a dog that was a herder, it was a part Australian shepherd, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but um, he would, whenever there was kids, he would try to go in there and kind of reel them in, you know, so that's already inbred in them, They're, they call it herding instinct, where they were, you know, bred to bring the, the keep the herd together, you know, in, in the Western uh, America or Australia, that's more the technique of, of shepherding sheep was to use dogs. But in the Middle East, the shepherd would go before and he would lead them and he would talk and the sheep would follow him. I know that you guys got sheep over there. You probably know a lot more about sheep than I do. Uh, Kioki and, uh, you know, they have, they're, they're raising sheep. How's your sheep doing over there, your flock, still growing? <laughs> yeah, it's a good shepherd. It's, a, it's not a very... Um, complimentary thing to be called a sheep sheep are followers sheep need somebody to show them what to do you know I I saw I remember seeing a film on sheep and there was these sheep and they were just walking and then all of a sudden one of them decides to jump 
and then everybody else jumps. There's nothing there that they're jumping over, but it's like, we got to follow that one. He's jumping. We're all jumping now. We're all jumping. So to be called sheep is not a very, you know, flattering thing, but that's what God tells, calls us. He says, these are my, fl- my flock. These are my sheep. We are the Lord's sheep. Amen. I thank you, Lord, that you were willing to take us on and call us your flock. I thank you, Lord, that our ears were attuned to your Holy Spirit's message that we responded to this message and became part of his flock. Amen. I thank you, Lord, that we're not goats. You know, they just butt, butt, butt. You know, goats like to butt. They like to butt heads. I had goats, too. And goats are funny, man. Goats got a lot of personality, too. But I used to go into that goat pen and just put my hand up like that, and then the goat would stand up like that, and he would run a bump, you know, try to rear up and whack you. But sheep follow and goats butt. We don't want to be but God, but God, but God, but we want to be obedient to his voice and to follow his lead. Amen? That's what God is looking for, you know, that we hear his voice and we're obedient. And if we're not obedient... We come to him and we say, Lord, you know, I wasn't obedient. And I, I need your help, man. I, I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient to your voice. I want to I do things that are pleasing to you. It says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we fall short, that's why Jesus came. Nobody is righteous. None of us are good enough to say, I made it here on my own. We all needed a great shepherd. We needed him to lead us. We, the, the shepherd to lead us. But not only that, the shepherd that became a sheep that died for us. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's a pretty amazing thing that the shepherd became the sheep. And he was willing to die. And you think about this illustration. You know, we, we, a few weeks ago I talked about the gospel. And it says that Jesus died uh, according to the gospel. According to the, to, according to the word. According to the scriptures. That Jesus Christ uh, was crucified according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ was three days in the grave according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ resurrected according to the scriptures. So everything was in accordance with the scriptures that God did, that this whole story is according to the scriptures. And in fact, it starts off at very, very early in the, in the book where uh, mankind has fallen into sin, has broken fellowship with a holy God. They realize that they're naked because of this grievous sin that they did. Adam, our first father, our prototype, plunges humanity into uh, eternal separation from God. And God says, I have a remedy for this. I knew that this was going to happen before I did anything. It says, before the foundation of the world, I knew this. I knew I was going to be sending my son. It wasn't a surprise that, oh my God, look, what did you do? Oh no, i got to come up with plan B now. It was before the foundation of the world. God knew this was going to happen. And it was such a theme that they used to walk in the cool of the garden in the, in the evening and they would commune with God and they were clothed in righteousness, clothed in, in, in light. They were light, just they were different beings. And then all of a sudden sin, uh-oh, it's naked time. We're naked. We're like hiding behind a bush with fig leaves I sewed together because we're naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? I'm just conscious of it now. I'm conscious that I'm not, I'm not in that same place that I was with you at one time, God. I need a covering. And God says this, okay? 
take those animals, and I believe it had to have been a sheep if it's going to follow the type, either a sheep or a goat, but I think it was a sheep. And God, probably in front of them, took it and killed that sheep in front of them when there was no death in the garden, spilled this blood of this innocent animal. Cut its neck, bled it out, took the skin, and made tunics, made covering for them. And then after that, we know Cain and Abel. Cain uh, was a, a tiller of the earth, and Abel was the one who would uh, watch the flocks. And it's time to bring an offering. I'm sure God spelled it out. When you come before me, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. I want a, a blood offering to come up here on this altar. And he brings his uh, fruit of the field. He says, isn't this good enough, God? And he says, you didn't do it the way I told you to do it. And he accepted the blood offering, accepted the animal offering, because it was a type and a pattern that was going to be repeated through the ages, through the ages that this thing was established early along. So that when Jesus came into this story, that it wasn't out of contest. So what does this mean? That the Lamb of God, what is this? I don't get it. But the precedent was set from the very beginning. This wasn't some haphazard plan. It was almost as if God planned it. It was as if God planned it. You ever seen some, some things that Jesus said about himself and you go, wow, that's, that's amazing. You know, I'm the, I'm the water, living water. Without water, you got no life. You're thinking, did he just, because he could take an illustration and turn it? No, he's the one who created the water. That's the sustainer of life that every plant and every human being, everybody, without water, you don't have any life. And Jesus is saying, I am that living water. We don't live very long without bread, without food, without some kind of sustenance. And Jesus stands up and says, I am that bread of life. It wasn't Moses who gave you that, I am that bread of life. And they're like, what are you talking about? Jesus manifesting himself according to the scriptures, according to this story. He's in the context of the whole story. So in the fullness of time, God says, now son, this is the time. This is the time. And he interjects his son into the history, the story of history, in a time where the Romans had dominion over the world, the known conquered world, the Roman Empire. They set up roads that there was for the military, they could move their troops through and, uh, to and fro throughout their empire quickly. There was a common language. The Greece was the common language. Greek was the common language. The Romans spoke uh, Latin, but the Greek was the common vernacular. It's kind of like how English is nowadays. You go to a foreign country. Do they speak English over there? Oh yeah, everybody speaks English now. It was back in the day, it was Greek. So there was a common language with common roads in a place, in a time where people were looking for something. And at that point in the fullness of time, God interjects his son into that timeline. And he brings in his savior. And it was in a time that was dark. It was a dark time. And he brings in the light, the light of the world. And let me read this scripture. This is in Galatians. You know, in Genesis, before I get to Galatians, in Genesis, it talks about the seed of the woman. I'm going to bring forth a seed of the woman, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so there was a war between the seeds at that point. There was a war from the devil to try to corrupt this seed. 
And all of a sudden, shortly after that chapter 6, we see that the sons of God came down and they were having relations with the uh, daughters of men and the seed line was being corrupted. He was corrupting the DNA because he goes, there's going to be a seed that's coming and if I can get in there and mess up this DNA, maybe I can stop this demise because I think the devil is smart enough to know when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. And he was trying to stop it. And that's what it was about. The killing of the, the Jewish people. The killing of their babies. It was constantly trying to stop this seed from coming forth into the timeline of history. And he failed every time. He failed every time. It got down to eight people. Noah and his family. God built an ark. And he says, I've preserved this seed. is pure. It's a pure seed. It's still Adamic stock. And he brought them through the flood. And he started over from there. He started over there. And it says in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians. It says, and what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed, capital S, should come. To whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. And a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law which given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures has confined all under the law that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, they were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith which would after be, afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the very purpose of the law was to preserve a seed line, a pure seed line. And you're thinking, man, that's some real restrictive laws. But it was to keep a people separate from the world and to keep them separated until this godly seed could come, capital S, which is Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of the law. A lot of people say, well, I'm a keeper of the law. Nobody can keep the law. The law was only given to show us that God is righteous, but it was also kept to keep this people pure so that they could deliver a holy seed. And once the seed came, we were no longer under the law, but we're under grace now. And it says in verse 26, For you are all now sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For by, uh, for as by many you are baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither um, there is neither male nor female, for you are one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And when the fullness of time had come, God set forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his Spirit of a Son, into our hearts crying out Abba Father therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir in God through Christ hallelujah that is what the gospel message is about right there God reserving a people a holy people a holy nation that says your mission is to bring the word of God the physical word of God here the word but also the word became flesh in the gospel of John 
He took on the form of flesh. That is the thing that we want to make sure we understand. That it says, if anybody says that Jesus is anything under, uh, beneath God in the flesh, you're in error. You have the wrong gospel. That's why this is such an important doctrine to know this, that the word became flesh. The Jews were commissioned to bring the oracles of God, to bring this story, to bring it to head. And all of a sudden, it says, they, not only that, but through this seed, this line of Abraham, through the Davidic line, that Christ was birthed as the Messiah. And people were anticipating this. And at the fullness of time, at a particular time in history, Jesus inter- interjects into the timeline of history. It's a miraculous story. It's a wonderful story. And if it didn't really happen, and if it wasn't true, you'd have a hard time believing. If somebody wrote this script for a movie, it says, I got a fantastic story about God coming down and becoming one of his own creation, and then dying for that creation. And if this didn't really, uh, really didn't happen in history, there's no director in Hollywood who said, get out of here with that story. That's ridiculous. But yet it happened. Amen. The sheep, the shepherd became a sheep and became a shepherd on our behalf. Psalm 23, we're all familiar with that. This is the promise because of what Jesus did. You know, we're all familiar with this psalm. We could probably quote it without going to the scripture, but I don't want to make any mistakes here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever thank you Lord for that that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever it's just like Wesley said that we're family that we have an eternal destiny because of what Jesus did that we're family forever we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever it doesn't end when we breathe our last breath it just begins at that point Jesus Christ purchased for us eternal life. That was the gift on that morning. I love um, the story of Christmas. You know, it's just, or, you know, the incarnation of Christ. If we go to the book of Matthew, you know, there, there's two gospel accounts of it, or actually, you know, all of them talk about it. But the um, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about it. Matthew and Luke being the most detailed account. Um, chapter 2. I want to read this. It says, this is uh, speaking of something that took place. You know, a lot of times we uh, see the Christmas story and we see the wise men coming in and offering their gifts at the uh, manger. And that's really not accurate. If you study this story, it probably happened about two years after the fact. That they saw the star in the east, and that's what alerted them. They says, whoa, we understand how to read these cosmic signs up in the heavens. And there's a king that's being born right now. 
there's a king in Israel that's being born. And so they conspired. These magi got together and they were talking about this. And it seems like it took them a while to get organized, to get it going. And then they started their journey to find out who this king was. Went to Herod and says, where is the one who was born the king of the Jews? And Herod is like, I'm the king of the Jews. What is this? And he's upset over this whole thing that's taking place. It, it, it turned over all of uh, you know, Jerusalem. They were upset over this. And so this is where, I'm jumping ahead in the story in two years, but I just want to highlight something here. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For they have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king uh, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when they had gathered all the, ch uh, the chief priests and the scribes and the people together and inquired of them, Where is the Christ to be born? So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written in the prophets, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, you are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here it is. Excuse me. According to the scriptures. This is an Old Testament scripture in the book of Micah 5.2 that heralded the birth of Christ hundreds and hundreds of years before the event that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And we know the story that Jesus wasn't from Bethlehem. Jesus was not born, in, or he, he was living, his family, Joseph and Mary, were living in Nazareth. And yet there was an event that took place that God orchestrates all details in life in the fullness of time. He says, you know what? We're going to have a census and all the known world is going to be accounted for. In fact, everybody has to go back to their point of origin, their, their city of birth. So if we had something like that, you know, in this time, Wesley would have to come from, Nash, or from uh, Tennessee, would have to fly back to Maui to register for this sort of thing. He would have to come back to the place of his birth. So there was confusion about Jesus because they realized when he was coming up and he started to do these signs that they said, no prophet ever came out of Nazareth. But the scripture said he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But he was born in Bethlehem, according to the scriptures. They just didn't know that. That's why they, they had a hard time, you know, amongst other things, they just were hardened in their heart and they didn't want to accept this birth as this is the Messiah. He didn't come in the package that they expected, so they didn't want to receive it. But Jesus came from, according to the scriptures, Bethlehem, just like the scripture said. But they didn't know that. They didn't know. So it was about, it says that Herod was so upset about this, though he told the wise men, when you find this king of the Jews, come back over here so that I may worship him also. They went and the star was over the house. They went over there and they saw the young child and they offered their gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh at his feet. And they left and they go, you know what? The spirit is telling us, don't go back to uh, this, this evil king, man. Don't go back to Herod and tell him where the child is because he was already conspiring. He says, I don't like like this king challenging me being the king of the Jews and he sent people out there and in verse 16 of chapter 2 it says Herod when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men 
He was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which was determined that the wise men was fulfilled and was spoken in Jeremiah the prophet, saying, The voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel's weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So he sent out these, these armies to go slaughter every child that is under the age of two because he wanted to make sure that there will be no re re rival king. And so we know, according to this story, that this event took place about two years after the actual birth of Christ. Now we go to Luke's account of this in this story, which is the one that you normally hear on the Charlie Brown story. Chapter 2. And so we're going... From what I just read you, we're going back two years, and this is where we find ourselves at the fullness of time. Chapter 2, it says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered. This census first took place while Quirinus, the governor of Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee. Uh, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which is translated the house of bread. Because it was the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, um, it was while they were there, in, in the days were uh, completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn that in itself is pretty amazing you know you think about it I, I was listening to Chuck Smith give a dissertation about that if you were going to birth the Messiah and you were God wouldn't you he would at least be born in a palace somewhere but here he is, they're living in Nazareth, and they have to go to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles. And the wife is ready to give birth and go 90 miles on a donkey and get to the place. And because everybody's packing the town because there's a census going on, there's no place for them to stay. No place for them to stay. So he said, well, you can go stay in that courtyard over there where we keep the animals. And there's a manger over there that you can, you know, deal with this. And that's how the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It, I think it's appropriate because he was birthed amongst the animals. And when John the Baptist saw him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The fact that Jesus was of such humble beginning gives us heart because he wasn't royal prince living in a palace driving a mercedes or a you know just just the the most lavish lifestyle we can relate to jesus more that this is how he was birthed amen now there were verse eight now there was the same night shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over the flocks by night and behold an angel of the lord stood, stood before him and the glory of the lord stood around them and they were greatly afraid and the angel said to them do not be afraid for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people 
at the fullness of time, God interjects his son into this, and he heralded it with angel. I believe it was Gabriel, because Gabriel was the one who was announcing to um, Zechariah. Gabriel was the one who announced to Mary, and I think it was the same angel, Gabriel, who was announcing this thing here to these shepherds. Can you imagine being a shepherd in Jerusalem? There's no light pollution over there. There's no street lights. They're out in the fields, in the, you know, in, the, in, in the field over there by themselves, and all of a sudden, boom, an angel is standing in front of you and giving you this message. That would freak you out, man. It says, do not fear. First thing, both, all three of these people, do not fear. So it must be a fearful thing to be in the presence of one of these holy celestial beings. Gabriel, the one who stands in front of the Lord heralding this message about the birth of a Savior. And these shepherds are probably trembling right there. And he says, don't be afraid. And they're like, whoa. Out and keeping watch over their fields at night, totally still, totally black, probably watching the stars late at night. And all of a sudden, this visitation of an angel. Do not be afraid. I have great joy, tidings of great joy. And then in verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And I find that odd. You know, I would think that, you know, they, they said a swaddling clothes is just they would wrap the baby real tight because it just came out of the mother's womb and it's used to being confined. It was like sheets that would just wrap them up and keep them tight so it would feel secure. So that's really not a sign. Most babies, I think, would be in that condition. But you're going to find them in a manger. And a manger, according to, you know, the study of that, it was a feed trough. So it's like you're going to find the baby in a feed trough wrapped in swaddling clothes. Probably had straw in there and the baby with a blanket and, and laying up there all swaddled, you know, like that. And they come over there and they're like, whoa, it's just like the angel said. It's just like the angel said. And, and so this is the sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts of God saying glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace and goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone their way, uh, gone away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. You know what's amazing about this? In the city of Bethlehem, those particular shepherds and the pastors out there, these were the sheep that were, that were shepherded, that were pastured in this area that would be used for the sacrifices in the temple. These aren't just any sheep. These are the ones that would be used as the sacrifices in the temple. So it's going, he's going to the shepherds over, watching over these sheep that are specially designated for the sacrifices that go on in the temple. And there was a lot of sacrifices that went on in the temple. There was a lot of blood that was shed. And if you think about it, you look at a, you look at a sheep, that is the most harmless looking animal you've ever seen. It's a harmless animal. I don't know how you could take a knife and slice the, th the throat of a sheep. And it says that, you remember the story about David, when David uh, was caught in the act of adultery. The person said that they took not only the sheep, that this was the family pet kind of sheep. You take the best sheep, the one that you love the most, the one that's got the whitest fur, the one that doesn't have any blemish, and that's the one offered up to the Lord, the very best. These sheep, these shepherds, 
were the first ones to hear this story. The first ones to hear all this news right there. And they go, let's go check this out. And as they're going, all of a sudden the heavens open up and there's a multitude of angels. And when the Bible says a multitude, it must have been pretty mean. Handles Messiah. Boom, just open up. The skies open up. And a portal into the heavens. And you're just seeing these heavenly hosts all singing the glory of the announcement to some shepherds. It was a lowly occupation. But God stepped down to the lowest of mankind to herald the birth of his son. The savior of all mankind. Amen. They came with haste and found, verse 16, Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they, they made widely known the saying which was told concerning this child. And all those who heard marveled at these things that they were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that, he had, that they had heard and seen as it was told them. What an amazing story, man. That's like, like I said, if it didn't really happen, that's hard to believe that that's the way it went down. You would think that this appearance would have happened to the governor or somebody of prominence that says, this is where it came. No, it went to the shepherds, to the lowest. I thank the Lord that that's his way. I thank the Lord that he, he uh, comes in on a low a level. I thank the Lord that he keeps the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. That it's not like, you got to have an education. You got to have this amount of money. You got to do this. You got to climb a mountain. You got to do this. this. Ah. But he says, no. Do you have faith that this took place 2,000 years ago? Do you have faith that God incarnated into a man? And he allowed himself to take on a body of flesh to die for us. And not only that, that he resurrected three days later. That's the basis of our... It says there that we are no longer a slave, but we're a son because of this, and whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, because God adopted us into his family because the price was paid for us. That's the story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray.